this last week, our family got to take in Taproot's production of A Charlie Brown's Christmas. This is their, they have two shows going on right now. One here, I haven't seen it, can't recommend it. I'm sure it's amazing. Charlie Brown is happening in the other theater where our kids meet, and it was really, it was one, it was kind of fun for our kids to get to see that as a theater, and they were totally blown away that there's these seats that pull out from the wall. And, um, <laughs> And it was, it had been a while since I'd seen the, the TV special, A Peanuts Christmas, or Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas. And their production is very faithful to that TV show, if you've seen that. Um, really great. Lot, the music was performed live. Um, they, the guy that played Snoopy kept our kids in stitches the whole time. I think they lost track of the storyline because they just were following Snoopy where, wherever he was. Um, and, you know, it had been a while since I'd seen it. And, and even though it was, it was funny, there was a lot of humor in it. Um, it kind of struck me this time around that, um, that Charlie Brown is legitimately depressed through most of that uh, storytelling. I mean, he's really bummed. And he's depressed for a number of different reasons. He's depressed because of the commercialization of the season. It gets to him. It, it weighs him down. And he's depressed because all his friends seem to have bought into it. Like he's, he's, he's like that lone voice. He's like, I'm the only one that sees that this is not what Christmas is about. And he's also depressed because the true meaning of Christmas just seems like elusive, like just out of grasp. He can't quite wrap his mind and heart and language around it. And it, and it all leads up to this very poignant moment, which if you've seen it, you're, you're familiar with, right? Where he says, in the middle of rehearsal, just drops everything and yells out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And then if you've seen the show, you know what happens next. Linus quietly and very bravely hands him his security blanket and walks to the middle of the stage, says, lights, please, and then recites our passage for this morning from Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's pray together. Lord, we do long to know and understand and experience the truth, the core of what Christmas is all about. And as we encounter these passages from the Bible that are very familiar to us, at least those of us who've grown up in the church, uh, we need your ears to hear them anew. God, grow our wonder and our awe at what it is that is happening, that we, we're celebrating this time of year, that the God who made everything, heavens and earth, came down, took on flesh, was born as an infant, as a baby, 
to save the world from sin. To bring peace. Lord, we need your help to grow our awe at this story, at this familiar story again. Help us. Amen. So, uh, again, this Advent season, we're looking at the four songs that take place in the first two chapters of Luke. And so we're not, you know, if you're following along in Luke, we've actually skipped over the birth of Jesus, which is not something we generally want to skip over. (laughs) That was pretty momentous. Uh, Come on Christmas Eve, and we're going to hear kind of the whole recounting of the whole story. But we're focusing in on these songs, and this song takes place right after Jesus has been born. And it is one of these, even if you haven't grown up in the church, this is a passage that you've probably heard, I mean, maybe from Charlie Brown, right? This is, this is one of those parts of Jesus' birth story that's just out there even in our culture. Um, and as such, it's a very familiar scene to us. The angels descending, and there's some shepherds, and like a handful of sheep usually. Um, and this is a part of the story too. I mean, we've, we've sung about it already. There's a lot of different songs and carols that have tried to capture this scene. Um, it, it's, a, it's, it's very key to the story, but it's also very familiar. And I think part of the, the danger of its familiarity is that we miss the incongruity of angels and shepherds. That what we have here is this crazy, odd interaction between those who are the most powerful, glorious, amazing beings, uh, sharing this amazing news with those who could not be more on the out, could not be more uh, passed over and unseen and forgotten and avoided in their culture. But that's part of the beauty and the power of this particular story and this song that the angels sing, right? The song itself is amazing, but the context, the the setting is uh, mind-boggling if we think about it, that God doesn't just announce this good news to everyone, even though it is declared to be good news for everyone, he announces it to a few shepherds on the night watch, on a field outside of a small town that was outside of the big town. So this is, I was trying to think of analogies for this, and they all fail, but, you know, it's sort of the, like the night watchman um, at a car dealership outside of Monroe might be the appropriate sort of con- contextualization of, of just sort of kind of how far away from where we think of things that are happening, were happening. These are simple people working their trade, watching out for their sheep. And in the middle of their shift, (coughs) angels show up. Singing this song of glory, peace, and of God's favor. And this song is so short, but there's so much that's packed into these few lines that the angel's saying. I just wanted to unpack um, these, these three primary words that the, the angels are singing about. Glory. Uh, we don't really know what to do with glory. Uh, it, it's, hard to, it, it's hard to define. I mean, splendor, majesty, these sort of help us understand what, what might the shepherds might have been experiencing as the glory of the Lord shone around the angels. But we do know the reaction that it caused in them, and that was terror, utter fright. Uh, And this is pretty common throughout the Bible. Whenever anybody shows up, or when an angel ever uh, shows up to anybody with a message, when God's presence arrives, this is the most common response, is 
fright and terror. Uh, and, and never is this explained in great detail why this is, but I, I do think that there's something that, that they must be feeling and sensing intuitively that all of a sudden they see their own ungloriousness. They see their own sin. They see their own brokenness in light of pure glory and holiness and majesty and whatever it was that they encountered with these angels. One of the grace-filled moments, though, is that the angels say what the angels always say, which is, don't be afraid, right? Yes, this is God's glory that you're encountering, and yes, you are experiencing it in your brokenness, but God has not come to smite you. In fact, he's come with quite the opposite intention, to give you good news. The, the shepherds experience the glory of God, and then the angels sing, glory to God in the highest heavens. And this word, glory, it, it, the Greek is doxa, and we have just sung a doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We invite you to sing this every week before we give our, our offerings to, to God. Um, and, and doxology, just it, it means that first phrase, praise God. But I, I often wonder how you guys sing that first line, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because I find that I sing it in, um, really in like three different ways. The first is as a, an address to God. I sing it as just praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm singing this to God who has been gracious with me, who's given me things that I don't deserve, who's been kind to me, and who's just worthy of my praise because he is the creator of everything. That's sort of the first, and, and maybe that's the most obvious sense in which we sing it. But the next line of the song is, uh, praise him all creatures here below. And so that praise God, that doxology, uh, functions as an invitation, right? As an invitation to everything that has breath, that they would join in the praising of God. And I think the third sense is that, that sense that the psalmist often uses when the psalmist is kind of talking to his own soul. He's like, come on, oh my soul, praise God. Like, get it together. Where, where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> praise God. Uh, and I think that that is sort of another invitation that happens in that song. is a reminder to myself. Wake up. You've been, you've been distracted. You've been, you've been praising all kinds of other things that are not God. Direct that praise towards the only one who's worthy of it. This is to praise God. This is doxology. This is doxa. This is that, that glory to God. Um, and I think that that mixture of both, uh, you know, the, the part of that that reflects the intimacy of our relationship with God that we're invited into, that we actually can speak directly to God, but also the invitational part of it, the part that, that reaches out, that invites others to join in, um, we see that played out in what the shepherds actually do. So if we kept reading in Luke chapter 2 right there, the, angel, or the, the angels depart and the shepherds are like, let's go check it out. So they believe, first of all. They go and they follow through, they meet Jesus, and then the very next thing they do is they go and they tell others about it. They spread this good news that the angel said is for everyone, and yet it was given to the shepherds both to respond with praise to God, to pursue Jesus, and then to go and tell, to go and spread that good news. The angels also sing about peace. 
And if you've been around Sanctuary for any amount of time, I hope that you've heard us talk about peace and talk about the biblical notion of shalom, this Hebrew word that we often translate as peace but means something so much deeper than just the absence of conflict, which is sort of how our world talks about peace. Like if we're talking about uh, the Middle East, peace in the Middle East, what we're talking about is Jews and Palestinians not harming each other, which we hope for. But the biblical uh, hope of peace, the biblical notion of peace is so much deeper and broader and richer than that. It's the writing of all relationships. First and foremost, the writing of our relationship with God. The angels, in announcing the birth of Jesus, are saying, here is a way and a source for peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, an intimate relationship with the one who has made you. Not just the cessation of animosity, right? It's not just that God was mad at you and now he's not mad at you anymore. It's that God invites you into an intimate relationship, a flourishing relationship. That's the sense of this peace here. But it doesn't stop there. It's peace with each other. It's peace to those who live on earth, between brothers and sisters, between every human. That the one who is born is also the source and the way of neighbors flourishing together, seeking each other's flourishing. The, the parable that Jesus uses when he's asked about what it means to love a neighbor, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is not a parable of uh, people that used to be uh, used to have animosity, which was true of the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a lot of animosity there, and they just kind of stopped being angry with each other. It's, it goes far deeper than that, right? It's the it's the Samaritan who had every reason to be frustrated and angry at this um, at the Jew who was beaten up and, and robbed, but instead, like seeks, I mean, just goes over and above to seek his flourishing. This is the kind of peace between people here on earth that the birth of this infant baby inaugurates and brings. And finally, there's this, uh, the, in the angel's song, they sing about God's favor for those on earth. Another way to think of that maybe is uh, those whom God is pleased with or those who are the recipients of God's good pleasure. We are, uh, we're about to enter the season of giving and receiving gifts. And I like to think of it as giving and receiving gifts rather than exchanging gifts. Because exchanging gifts sounds very um, obligatory, <laughs> uh, right? There's a, there's an, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just this sense of duty and obligation that uh, pervades when you're talking about exchanging gifts. Um, transactional, that's what it is. That's the word. But giving and receiving speaks of freedom, right? And the good news that the angels were singing to these shepherds is that you are receiving a gift right now, and this gift is God's favor, his grace, his blessing. You have done nothing to earn it. You have done nothing to deserve it. It is just a sheer gift. And I wonder if we really genuinely believe that in Christ, God is pleased with us, that we have God's favor, his affection. Not just, again, this sort of, oh, I'm no longer mad at you, but this delight. 
It's not because of anything that we've done, right? I mean, we just spent this fall looking at the book of Acts, and if there's anything that the life of Paul teaches us, it's that um, God still uses people who murder his own people and who are out to destroy the church, and God showed Paul grace and favor, clearly, not because of anything that he had done, but because God delights in doing this. He delights in showing grace and favor. The shepherds teach us that it's not because of anything that we have, right? It's not because we have certain possessions or that we're, uh, you know, we've reached certain status levels in our culture or our society. Shepherds had none of that, none of it. And yet they were the ones to whom God showed up with this message of good news, joy for all people. Another thing that we, I think, often talk about here is the the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, uh, which is something I think that we just need to consistently be reminded of because as as we live our lives in the world, there's a certain way that the world works that just sort of seeps into our imagination, seeps into the way that we view the world, the way that we view people and our relationships. Uh, And if we're not careful, we will start to treat people uh, the way that most of the world treats people, which is, again, transactional, right? People become means to ends. Um, That's one of the ways in which our world works, where the kingdom of God says, nope, actually, it's the other way around. People are the ends. Um, And this uh, this song and the context of this song... um, I think, illustrate this upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. As I already said, right, it couldn't have been sung by more glorious, powerful, awe-inspiring individuals. And it couldn't have been sung to a less glorious, weak, uninspiring group of individuals, the shepherds. But this is God's way. This is God's way that he works in the world. Humanity's way of pursuing peace and favor... um, involves negotiations, bribery, uh, a a lot of work and effort. And and it's not that we don't throw everything we have into joining God in his work, but first and foremost, first and foremost, we have to simply receive it as the gift that it is. We cannot earn God's love. We cannot earn his favor. He comes and gives of himself freely so that all of us might have life. As Jesus says, life everlasting, abundant life. Paul, I think, uh, gives us another lens on this whole shepherd and angels encounter in the song here. So I just want to read a a few verses from 1 Corinthians. He's writing to this early church in in the city of Corinth, and he says this. And I want you to think of the, the encounter of the shepherds and the angels as I read this passage. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, sorry, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
This is good news. This is grace, right? This is what we remember every week when we come together to celebrate this meal, to hear from God's word, to recognize our own brokenness, and yet to receive from God this free gift that is continually offered to us of love and acceptance, power in the Holy Spirit. This is how God works in the world. Choosing these weak and foolish things by the standards of this world as his instruments in the world. We're talking about this, uh, this longest night service as a, a way of, of giving voice uh, and articulating some of the, the longing, uh, the ache that we experience and feel in particular this time of year, uh, and especially during Advent. We really lean into that longing. Um, but, but Advent is also about joy. And I think that uh, in every uh, image that I've seen of this encounter, um, you know, so the disciples' first reaction, <laughs> of course, is fear, uh, which is very common, right? Uh, but, but after that, uh, there is this joy, right? They rush off. They hurry off to see Jesus is what the scriptures say. There is a, uh, a bubbling up of joy that these shepherds, uh, that they respond to this good news with. And I think that um, in the midst of uh, a season that is you know, darker, I mean, there, was a, there was a day this last week where summer was like, I don't think the sun actually came up. Like I, it, was, it was sort of like, went sunrise to twilight to evening. And, uh, it, you know, we, we, we feel, the, the, the weather seems to match the church calendar <laughs> uh, in, this, um, in this season here. But there are these seeds of joy that are being planted during Advent. And this is the song of the angels. It's a seed of joy that's planted in the shepherds. It's for all people, but it's spoken specifically to them. It's this joy at knowing that God, Almighty God, looks on us with favor. Not because of anything we've done or because of anything that we've achieved, but simply because it's in his nature to love his creation. And out of that love, he sent his only son to make peace, right? Peace between sinful humanity and a holy God, but also peace between shepherds and kings, between black and white, rich and poor, peace between parents and children, peace even between Republicans and Democrats. This is the deep kind of peace, the shalom that our world is longing and hungry for. That we are longing and hungry for. And we look for it in so many places where it's not found. The angel song is that it is found, and it can be found by coming to the side of this manger, this, this stable, and finding it there in this tiny infant who is infinite God crammed into flesh. He's the one who is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And 2,000 some odd years ago in Bethlehem, in the town of David, the Savior was born to us, the Messiah, the Lord. This is good news.